the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Yes, it is. And welcome back. Friday, May 27, 2022. If you're on hold, if you can be here with, I will get to you, I promise. Something I haven't been able to shake from my head since Wednesday when we learned it was an ICE agent who took down and took out the assassin in Uvalde. And it's that darned cowboy thing. A friend of mine, you'd know him, but he didn't authorize my saying his name yet, wrote me this this morning in an email, quote, Our culture does not teach the proper use of violence and the role of men as protectors and providers. Now, this isn't society blaming, but it does go to what we inspire young men to be. When was the last movie where the use of a weapon was due to an obligation to defend someone? It wasn't John Wick. Young men, really all men, are built to run to the sound of the guns and vanquish the evil foe. We were made for this, and the archetype of the heroic heroic defender is in our DNA. But there are competing storylines for young men today. Masculinity is toxic. Male is just a placeholder until you figure it out. And violence is just one other option for expressing yourself, be it through rap, movies, or video games. I would go so far as to argue that the violent characters in that entertainment culture meets a need our culture has otherwise thwarted the noble expression of. The shooter in Uvalde was legally of age to be called an adult male, but his character was not, and his actions were not. His actions were evil, and we used to teach young boys that their task was to find the dragon and kill it, not become it. Close quote. Tragically poetic, isn't it? This is why cowboys are on my mind. I asked on Wednesday, did the war on boys and the invocation of toxic masculinity to put an end to martial virtues have anything to do with the cultural void we now have when we see young men go so astray? Either Mr. Rogers matters and was right, as all of Hollywood applauded him 20 years ago, speaking about the importance of imagery in our entertainment, or he was wrong. I happen to think he was right. You know who else does? Every person in advertising. They don't put imagery in magazines and television commercials, thinking the money is a waste and of no effect. And I'll remind, in 1959, there were 27 Westerns on primetime television glamorizing male responsibility. It was a different country then. Is there anything on television today offered to young viewers that glamorizes male responsibility, or does it glamorize male stupidness and feminization and placeholderedness. And did those Westerns show young boys right and wrong, or were they confused on the matter? Did they show the right reasons to use a gun or the wrong reasons, or were they confused on the matter? And now the word cowboy has been turned into a pejorative here in America. You recall how it was used to condemn the Border Patrol last year, as it was used to condemn Reagan and Bush in the past. Well, thank God it was a Border Patrol agent who put the assassin down. Thank you, cowboy. I've worried about this for some time, and it worries me that we not only effeminize masculinity, but at the same time we push for college and career readiness at the expense of vocational military and technical training. You go to college, and with the 
exception of about three we can all name, you go to a Marxist institution where family and fatherhood and masculinity is denigrated. You learn a trade, join the military, become a cowboy. You hearken yourself back to a fabric of this country woven by the likes of John Wayne and John Ford of right and wrong. Not self-doubt, not self-condemnation, not confusion on what is good and bad, evil and decent, virtuous and shameful, not confusion sowed by a relativism that is transmogrified into certitudes of Marxism. Cowboys, they've been taking it on the chin for some time. And last year, one of the most prominent and longest serving members of Congress got away with a twofer, declaiming against cowboys and law enforcement all at once. Observing a distorted still shot of a Border Patrol agent on a horse doing his best to keep our border safe, which means to keep our country safe, this Congresswoman unloaded. She said, quote, what we witnessed was worse than what we witnessed in slavery. Cowboys with their reins again whipping black people, close quote. There were no whippings of black or any other people, by the way. Neither were there apologies after the investigation. And do keep in mind, prior to last year, if you wanted to criticize a Republican president, as I said, the pejorative use of cowboy like Reagan and Bush would do just fine. The winks and nods from the elites could always be garnered with that epithet. Notice, by the way, the thread. Classic all-American institutions, the kinds of heroic and mythical institutions young boys used to play and emulate and dream of growing up to be all deemed contemptible now in part because all racist, all racist, worse than slavery, murder. And then also, I guess we have to think about the truckers, too, also denounced as racist, enemies of the people, enemies of commerce and freedom, enemies of public health. There is no violent revolution when one by one the forces of composition in a society can be rhetorically and culturally, though deliberately, converted into forces of decomposition. First by public conversation of thought and then by those forces subsequent weakening, collapsing or lowered value and esteem, morale in their own as well as the public spheres. You see destruction of heroes all over the place. It's just the more violent efforts are the more noticeable. noticeable. Think statue destruction. But change the textbooks, find the shibboleth most damaging in the public mind like racism or now fascism or white supremacy and attach it to forces of good and decency upholding society and you can destroy not just individuals like Washington and Lincoln but entire social structures and building blocks and north stars of a society. The other other interesting thing about these institutions like cowboys and truckers is that their professions aren't exactly the usual target of the economic revolutionaries, the traditional or old school Marxists. They aren't exactly the bourgeoisie. They are fairly traditional working class professions in the old parlance. Perhaps this gives new meaning to the concept of neo-Marxist. Notice who's left alone here in this same class of boy who never gets condemned teachers. They're sacrosanct. Why do you think that is? Well, in part, they bought in, or at least their professional guilds have bought in, and years ago. It's also one of the professions, unlike the others, in that it, A, usually requires a four-year college degree, and B, interfaces directly daily with our youth. Isn't it interesting, too, that cowboys get to their profession by apprenticeship 
and cops and truckers, while they certainly can go to college, have their own academies separate from and sometimes as alternatives to college. Beware the push to corral more children in today's colleges without a lot of examination. You want martial virtue acceptable to an academic and intellectual elite? It isn't that far gone. I was reminded by a Peggy Noonan column today that the great American novelist Joan Didion, she just passed away last year. She was one of the most famous novels. She was probably the equivalent of a female Tom Wolfe, I suppose. She wrote a tribute to her hero, John Wayne, in the Saturday Evening Post just about a generation ago. Joan Didion did. You see Berkeley graduate, woman of letters. She was writing about going to the movies as a child and wrote this after learning of John Wayne's diagnosis with cancer. Quote, We went three and four afternoons a week, sat on folding chairs in the darkened hut which served as a theater, and it was there, the summer of 1943, while the hot wind blew outside that I first saw John Wayne. Saw the walk, heard the voice, heard him tell the girl in a picture called War of the Wildcats that he would build her a house at the bend in the river where the cottonwoods grow. As it happened, I did not grow up to be the kind of woman who is the heroine in a Western, and although the men I have known have had many virtues and have taken me to live in many places I have come to love, they have never been John Wayne, and they have never taken me to that bend in the river where the cottonwoods grow. Deep in that part of my heart where that artificial rain forever falls, that is still the line I wait to hear. I tell you this neither in a spirit of self-revelation or as an exercise in total recall, but simply to demonstrate that when John Wayne rode through my childhood and perhaps through yours, he determined forever the shape of certain of our dreams. It did not seem possible that such a man could fall ill, could carry within him that most inexplicable and ungovernable of diseases. The rumor struck some obscure anxiety through our very childhoods into question. In John Wayne's world, John Wayne was supposed to give the orders. Let's ride, he said, and saddle up. Forward ho, and a man's got to do what a man's got to do. Hello there, he said when he first saw the girl in a construction camp or on a train or just standing around on the front porch waiting for somebody to ride through the tall grass. When John Wayne spoke, there was no mistaking his intentions. He had a sexual authority so strong that even that even a child could perceive it, and in a world we understood early to be characterized by venality and doubt and paralyzing ambiguities, he suggested another world, one which may or may not have existed ever, but in any case existed no more, a place where a man could move free, could make his own code and live by it, a world in which if a man did what he had to do, he could one day take the girl and go riding through the draw and find himself home free. Not in a hospital with something going wrong inside, not in a high bed with the flowers and the drugs and the forced smiles, but there at the bend in the bright river, the cottonwoods shimmering in the early morning sun. Since that summer of 1943, when I first started going to see him in the movies, I had thought of John Wayne in a number of ways. I thought of him driving cattle up from Texas and bringing airplanes in on a single engine. Thought of him telling the girl at the Alamo that Republic is a beautiful word. He did say that in the Alamo, didn't he? What was the full quote? Worth going into Memorial Day recalling it. Republic. I like the sound of the word. It means people can live free, talk free, go or come, buy or sell, be drunk or sober, however they choose. Some words give you a feeling. Republic is one of those words that make me tighten the throat 
the same tightness a man gets when his baby takes his first step or his first baby shaves and makes his first sound as a man. Some words give you a feeling that makes your heart warm. Republic is one of those words. Thank you, Duke. Thank you, Cowboys. And thank you all who had friends and family members who helped also sew the fabric that gives us the life of living and talking freely as we head into the weekend that memorializes them and appreciates them all, especially those who gave their last full measure of devotion. Well, I won't be able to play like that when I close the show today, but I will be uh, efforting my uh, annual uh, attempt at uh, a meaningful version of Taps that I will play uh, at the end of the show. Tony, thank you for your patience. You're in Scottsdale. Welcome to the show. Hey, uh, Seth, can you hear me okay? Yes, uh, yes, I can. Very much so. Okay. So uh, so just a couple of things real quick. Number one, you're talking to a huge Duke fan. Um, I, I didn't get along with my old man that well, but we always had football and John Wayne movies in common. So was, was really John Wayne movies. like a surrogate father? The image of him, kind of. Uh, no, I, I've got a John Wayne. I got a John Wayne picture up uh, from the movie The Cowboys uh-huh. in my uh, in my rec room. I, I'm a huge fan. Yeah. So yeah, he, uh, I love the Duke. Yeah, it was a beautiful, uh, beautiful tribute to him by Joan Didion, wasn't it? Just beautiful. Uh, well, you know, I I'm not familiar. I'll have to look it up, but. Uh, but I've I've seen several tributes to John yeah, Wayne. And he was good. he was awesome. Yeah. He was awesome. So uh, just a couple quick things. So uh, again, uh, just adding my voice to everybody else's set. Uh, just uh, everybody's piece, everybody's heart and soul is is taken because of what happened down there in Texas, and it's terrible. Uh, I did want to say that getting on, getting to talk with you is at the end of this week is a very sort of cathartic thing for me, and I think for other people as well, just because we kind of need to get it off of our chests. I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad is. we can provide that. I, I thank you for that, yeah. and I get it. And you bet. You bet. Yeah. And so, and obviously, this this problem it is it is a multi pronged problem. Security is obviously an issue. Uh, what our kids are seeing and the video games they're playing are obviously an issue. So just my main point here is that I, I will tell you, as a parent of a 17- and 18-year-old and the mood swings that they go through, um, I'm not a gun owner, but I'm a believer in gun rights. But I, I don't think at, at this time, I, I don't think our children are as mature. No, they're not. Now. No, they're not. As they were 40 years You're ago. You're right. You're and, right. And I, and, I, and I think we need to make those changes. I, our children are going through too much emotionally right now and they're and so and i don't know what constitutes a i don't know what constitutes an automatic weapon but i i do think that the age needs to be raised and there needs well, to be well, much semi, more semi-automatic there, there really aren't yeah. available the automatics but you know i agree with everything you said except one thing that you'll probably agree yeah. with me on tony you said uh, our children are going through too much that's passive voice they've been put through too much adults we wouldn't have children problems in this country if we didn't have adult problems i think adults have put yeah. them into these problems i think no, adults I, have I, infantilized I them yes and, and i agree that we have way too many adults that are just big children yes. as well yes they, they never pre- progress past being teenagers themselves right 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 
No, we put them through this. We did. Um, we, 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 and, and we bear that responsibility. And that's why I'm open to a conversation. I don't know that I'm right about it and I might be wrong about it, but I'm certainly open to a conversation. See, I think we're at this weird point, Tony. People used to say, um, well, you know, if you uh, if you're old enough to go to war at age 18, you should be old enough yeah, to I, buy I, alcohol. I, I think we need to go the other way. I would put it. I would not, not lower fine. ages. I'd raise them. Exactly. The, the times are changing. Yep. We need we need to real we need to realize it and 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 make those changes. Yep. I I I think that's one of the conversations we must have. Thank you, Tony. I want to say something else to you about what you said early on in this call about how you, like every other American, um, your heart is torn, your soul is ripped, some version, variant of, of that expression. Um, it's important not to let that just fly by. You know, I have, I think a week ago, was invoking John Donne and saying the death of any man diminishes, every man diminishes me because I consider myself a part of mankind. That is a sentiment that we lost a long time ago, but that we do seem to grab onto in these extremists, in these in extremists, in these in these awful moments. But it's becoming more and more tenuous. The big example, of course, is 9-11. And people like to talk about how we were so united after 9-11. Guess what? It didn't last that long. It didn't last really past February of the following year. It didn't last past February when Al Gore was giving speeches still embittered from his loss in the 2000 November election, being in, insisting on being introduced as the elected president of the United States and talking about going to war in Afghanistan as comparable to what the Soviet Union did in going to war in Afghanistan, comparing us to the Soviet Union. It didn't last that long. And this has lasted less long than that. Less long than that. How quickly, how quickly did it take Joe Biden to invoke God's name, I think in vain, to scold an entire political party? That night, it took him that night to do it. The night of this tragedy, it took him that. Beto O'Rourke the following day. Ruben Gallego that same day. The unity is harder and harder to come by. Harder and harder. It's not going to be cobbled together by tragedy, I don't think. Clearly, we've had enough tragedies. We don't have the unity. Be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. If you're looking for a unique and remarkably great investment opportunity with a great return for investors, I'm talking about a fixed no-load interest rate up to 10.25%. For investors in a collateralized and secure portfolio, check out my friends at Y-Refi. Y-Refi is a due diligence approved firm run by really great people who are doing really great themselves by helping others, and you can be too. They're helping people dig out a debt, doing it the right way, and paying off their debts. Check them out at their website, investyrefi.com. That's the word invest. The letter Y, then R-E-F-Y dot com, or give them a call at 855-316-3087. Local company, uh, local guys, they'd love to meet with you and talk to you. You won't get a sales pitch. They'll just tell you about what they're doing 
and it'll speak for itself, as it did for me when we started our conversations. Again, investyrefi.com. Bob, thank you for your patience. Welcome to the show. Hey, Seth. Nice to hear from you again. Thank you. Um, your story about the elephants and the rhinos was thought-provoking for sure. Oh, good. I'm glad you liked it. <laughs> Unbelievable. Anyway, when I was a young teenager... 15, 16, 17, we moved to the Philippines. We were in Manila. My folks were with the U.S. Embassy there at the time. And I went to what was called the American School. It was downtown Manila. It was an old prisoner of war camp for American GIs the Japanese had there after they took over Corregidor and on the Bataan Death March for mm. some of those fellows. Yeah, about. right, right. So anyway, we went to the school. We talked about security here. We met at the U.S. Embassy every morning. We were bused to the American school, the old prison, and we had armed Marine guards on the bus. And we had screens over the windows because back then, 16 years after World War II, when we finished the Japanese and the Germans, they were, uh, they were called... Communist Hux, mm-hmm. I think it was H-U-C-K-H-U-C-S, H-U-C-S. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. predecessors of the Viet Cong, right. and Castro's regime. Right, okay? right, right, right. But we, we had about 60 kids on the bus, as I remember correctly, teenagers, dressed in uniform, haircuts, no tattoos, no pierced body parts, okay? Yeah. We got, we got to the prison, and we had to go through a turnstile with an armed Marine guard. Mm-hmm. Check their IDs. We were let in one at a time and scrutinized, although they weren't looking for us. They were looking for terrorists, communists. Sure, who sure. We were kill- killing people in the sure. country at the time. Sure. Well, I'm going with this. The key to this nonsense, not nonsense, the key to this seriousness we have going on in this country is security in the schools is going to cost a lot. We need to... <laughs> Fence the schools in, possibly magnetic detectors just at the airports, because we can't let this go on any longer. This, this has got to stop. And so I think security is the key. And the first guard of security, we have to have people inside the school who are trained and armed. They don't have to be police. They, I'm sure there's teachers out there that believe in the Second Amendment and carry weapons, okay? I'm sure there are. I mean, I was looking. I early first. Uh, thank you for that, by the way, Bob. I, 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 I was reading from the Department of Homeland Security's uh, active shooter booklet. They have one. You can look it up for yourself. And it has three stages of dealing with an active shooter situation. The third one, if all else fails, I'll just read to you what it says: as a last resort, and only when your life is in imminent danger which God knows an active shooter situation I think is almost by definition imminent danger. As a last resort and only when your life is in imminent danger, attempt to disrupt and or incapacitate the active shooter by acting as aggressively as possible against him and her. What does it mean to act as aggressively as possible against him or her? It means certainly having the same level of force as him or her, doesn't it? The same instrumentality, doesn't it? Yeah, we're not talking about giving it to people who are irresponsible. We're talking about giving it to people who are 
responsible. And while we're at it, while we're at it, speaking of veterans and education, can we put some more veterans into our pipeline of teachers? Can we, can, can, can we effort that a little bit more, not only for their expertise but for their role modeling? Can't, could we do that? I'm Seth Liebson. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leibson Show. All week heading into Memorial Day weekend, we have been doing our Price of Freedom project where we have been reading stories uh, from you that you have all submitted of friends and family members who uh, did give their last full measure of devotion so that we could live free here. The last one I want to read was not submitted to us, um, but I want to read it anyway because... Our Price of Freedom campaign was endowed by Bill Luke Auto Group, and we thank the Bill Luke Auto Group very sincerely. Um, did you know that Luke Air Force Base is, is named after that family? Frank Luke Jr. was the fifth child of Atelia and Frank Luke. He only lived for 21 years, but his name and deeds will live forever in American military history. Second only to Captain Eddie Rickenbacker as the leading ace of World War I, Frank Luke Jr. was credited with 18 kills and nine months of combat. Rickenbacker was quoted as saying, quote, had he, Luke, had he, Luke, lived, he would have put me out of business as the Army's leading ace. Lieutenant Frank Luke Jr. was posthumous, posthumously awarded the Congressional Medal of Honor, had a statue erected in his memory in the mall at the state capitol, and, of course, was further honored when Luke Air Force Base was named after him. It was his brother, Bill, who founded the auto company. And we thank the Bill Luke Auto Group for helping us pay tribute to those who helped us remain free. Lewis Hallman, we missed you this week, Lewis, but it's nice to see your name and hear your voice. How are you, sir? Yes, I have missed you terribly, but I am better now to be speaking to you. Good, 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 good. What's up, buddy? So uh, I was browsing YouTube, as I am wont to do many an evening, and I have noticed that they have put a COVID-19-style information warning linking to Wikipedia on any video that mentions what is called the Great Replacement Theory, because it was alluded to in this most recent shooter's manifesto. Uh-huh. The, 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 the penultimate shooter's manifesto. Yes, uh, right. Yes, excuse me. Yes. Right, right. Um, the, the phenomenon, the Great Replacement Theory, is described in the link as a white nationalist conspiracy theory, and we are increasingly seeing the corporate press tar conservatives with this label as they talk about the phenomena that's going on. Now, We've talked a lot about demographics before, you and I, and the issue is that, to a degree, the phenomenon that is being described is accurate, mm -hmm. right? If you look at the percentage of uh, Americans identifying as white in the year 2000, you had about 72% of the population. As of 2020, it's at 62%. So there is a decrease. There is a change. Much of this decrease is due to the fact that Native-born Americans have a lower birth rate than do immigrants. Mm -hmm. um, but 
the thing that I think all of us need to keep in mind on the right is that it is perfectly possible, perfectly feasible for all of these things to be happening, but for there to be no intentionality behind it. Right. It is not yeah, a no, that's a good point. Theory. Yes. Yes. It is not a conspiracy right. theory. Right. Because it is not be- being driven by a small centralized group of people. It is being driven by urbanization and changes in our society, such as increased female labor force participation and birth control. Sure, sure. If you look at societies all over the world for the last hundred years, you will find uniformly, even in sub-Saharan Africa, that birth rates have about halved. The issue is that Western societies urbanized first. And we're the first to receive these the benefits of these new ways of doing things that are so recent in our species history. The problem I have now is that any allusion to this empirical reality is being described as a white nationalist conspiracy theory. Yeah. Even though, as we've just described, it's perfectly conceivable that none of this involves any kind of central organization. And that is really disturbing. Lou, it's more than disturbing. I mean, it's more than disturbing. I mean, it's, again, taking an entire category of discussion that implicates um, public policy, an entire category, a legitimate category for debate and discussion. It takes it entirely off the table and censors it entirely, just like it did with mental health during the COVID shutdowns. Right. And, And again, the people that are talking about the empirical reality of the situation in terms of policy, as we were with vaccine efficacy, as we were with education closures, which are now over and over again now by the corporate press being reported as a bad idea. The Washington Post did a story. <laughs> very on passive voice, bad idea. Yes, very passive voice, but yes, right, yeah. The, 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 they just did a story that the average student in America lost about 26 weeks of learning over the course of the pandemic, which is incalculably large. Like, that is an enormous loss. It, it's not really feasible, even if we spent all of the pandemic funding available that we could actually make up that educational gap. And I think it's the least of what the kids, and I think it was the least of what the kids lost, by the way, I have to tell you. Right. Yeah. Yeah. To say nothing of freedom, friends, you know, all, all of the rest of it. And so again, you know, we are at the point as conservatives where we are being told, disbelieve your lying eyes. Yep. And focus on the science, which is whatever we say it is. That's exactly right. And so the time has come for us to get really smart and really intentional and deliberate and discard all of these notions of a centralized actor and intentionality behind this because it's just playing into our opponent's hands and we need to cudgel them with this. Yeah, good. And I think it starts with the really smart and that's why I keep you around, Lewis. That's why I keep you in my back pocket. You're the, smart, you're, oh, you're the smartest. A- you know, when people go about criticizing uh, the millennial generation – it's only because they haven't met you, Lewis. Well, that is very, very kind of you. No, me, but I'm it's a great point. Can you make it a down point payment? Maybe Tuesday we can revisit on this a little bit more when you come in. Oh, I, I say I cannot come in on Tuesday. All right, well, we'll, we'll, we'll work something out for you next week. We'll work out something. Yeah, we'll work something out for you next week. And uh, and I, I would like that. to talk a little bit more about it. It's great. I'm glad you put that out there. By the way, it's also a highlight of how fast we move. It was all about the white replacement theory for about a week, wasn't it? That was a crisis. For a week, now we're on to a new one, and next week it'll be another one yet. All right, I think I have what hopefully will be a special close for the show when we come 
right back. Thanks for spending some of your week with us as we go into this Memorial Day. I said uh, summers, I cry twice during the summers, once uh, from lacrimose emotion, Memorial Day, and once to the happy one, July 4th. And uh, as we try to do here every Memorial Day, uh, I close with my effort at playing taps on trumpet. I'll effort that again in a few moments. I have like three, maybe three regrets in life. One of them was never having gone into the military. And so I always resonated to John Stuart Mill's line that we're kept free. I'm kept free and safe by the exertions of better men than myself. And I am. And to all those who gave the last full measure of devotion, I dedicate my feeble effort here. It was uh, the famous bugle call taps. It was composed by a Union general. Do you know that? Daniel Butterfield, in July of 1862. And um, he revised an older call is what he did, but he wanted a somber, somber tune to signal the day's end. And today, taps ascended at funerals, memorial services, and to signal lights out. Doesn't have official words. There are some popular ones, but not any official ones, and I prefer it without them. But if you'll bear with me, I do this with as much heart and meaning and tribute as I possibly can muster. And as we go into the weekend, wish you all a very meaningful and safe Memorial Day. General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.